Hawks Hawks Live. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Paul Moyer. Hawks Live every Thursday right here from Lumenfield on 710 ESPN. I'm Michael Bumpus here with Paul Moyer. And folks, this is our last Hawks Live on Thursday of the season, Paul. It happened so fast. It's been a good year. Yeah. You know, the Seahawks, it's a great year. Nine and four. We'll talk more about is that uh, an underachieve, overachieve, where they should be. Um, it, it's been a good year. But this Thursday show, it really, it's it's my most fun day of the week. I'm with you. Yeah. You know, I got my good friends. I got NASA. I got you. We're talking football and we got a good show tonight. It always helps when they come off a really good win. Yes, it does. And the Hawks beat the New York Jets 40-3. to The offense looked good. The defense looked good. People are going to say, Paul, oh, well, they only beat the Jets. Who, what did they do? Well, they beat the Jets 40-3, to and that's the Jets' worst loss. They also, again, beat the Jets 40-3. to That's their biggest win since 2012 when they beat the Cardinals 58-0. to Beggars can't be choosers in this situation. <laughs> like, you got, you got to take this win. What do you say to all the people who are doubting the Seahawks right now or just really critiquing them tough right now? It, what's interesting is – the Jets had came off a game a week before where they should have been. Now, the game was over. They, the Raiders. They, they, they're, they're, the Raiders, the game's over. They're going to win, and, and Greg Williams does the dumbest thing in the world. He does a zero blitz, nobody in the middle of the field. He's got a free agent guy, you know, probably played three games all year. Who, who, bites who really is a, a safety. Who bites on... A, a double move. I go, dude, there is no double move when you're trying to f- defend the goal line, right? Exactly. But whatever. They they should have won that game. So coming into it, it wasn't like – and even the three games before, their worst loss was 20-3 to three to Miami. Yep. So they were playing well. No one – and I, I'm going to just chalk this up to 2020 COVID freaky year. There's been so many things freaky yeah. that people just say, let's start with the negative. Mm-hmm. The negative uh, was the Jets yeah. instead of, well, look what the Seahawks did to them. And so how about this? Because I, I, I did something with Dave Wyman earlier today, and he similar question, uh, it's their competition. They played the Jets, the Giants, and Philadelphia. I go, okay, well, let's, let's increase the sample size. Let's go back five games. Go back five. That's really when things started to turn around. And the first game was against Arizona. Do you remember what where Arizona was ranked offensively when we played them? Numero uno. Bingo. The big number one. And then we played the Rams. Where were they ranked? Top five. Bingo. So is that a better sample size? I think it is. Okay, so let's look at that sample size. Because over the last five games... The Seahawks have averaged defensively 285 yards a game. And if you were to put that into today's rankings, that's Umro Numo. Was that what it is? Number one? Uno. Yeah, I can't do the <laughs> my, my Spanish isn't that good. So, number one. Yep. Yeah. Um, if you look at points scored, 16 a game, that would be number one as well. And then first downs, 18.2, that would be number three. What I know is the last three games, though, mm-hmm. which I they, there's a, a website you can go to. The last three games, the Seahawks have averaged defensively 
241 yards a game. That is number one over the last three games of any team in the NFL. The point scored 12.3. That is number one in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And then first downs 14.3. That's number one across the NFL. The reason why I'm bringing this up is remember where we started. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Last. And historically bad, right? Historically bad. First eight games, we were giving up 455 yards a game. That is was that, dead last. Is that a lot, Paul? Yeah, it's a, it's a bunch. We were giving up 30.4 points a game. Mm. Not dead last, by the way. It was 30th. <laughs> and then 28 first downs a game, dead last. So I, I always say it's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's not your competition. You still got to beat them and beat them bad. So I, I, I'm really excited where our defense is going right now. I like where the defense is right now. Let me flip this around All for right, you now. Flip it. Flip it what you so got. here we are now. Offensively, last week it felt so different. Yes, it did. And and some of it was tempo. Ball was coming out quick. It felt like the beginning of the year because you can't always look for the explosive play, right? The big play. Mm-hmm. You you get five, six of those a game. That's ten percent of the plays. You know they're going to come through the course of the game. What felt different to you last week? Um, it was the offense taking what the defense was giving them. Right? If if I am game planning for the Seattle Seahawks, I am game planning for the deep ball, for the play action. DK running a post, Lockie going across the middle. So that means that initially, I feel like teams are going to come out and they're going to give them the five to eight yard routes, that cushion. And it seemed like they took it. I charted the the very first drive. It was a quick, no, sorry, excuse me. Start off with a zone, then it went to a quick, then we saw a screen, then we saw a jet sweep, then we saw a reverse to Penard. It's like cool. the versatility. Yeah. Now you now you have the defense on the heels. They're like, we don't know what the heck they're going to do. We didn't prepare for this, coach. You said they were going to go over the top. But you said Lockett was going to fly across the middle at 20 yards, and we didn't see any of that. That's what I liked about the offensive approach. And then Russell Wilson is getting the ball out quick. Like you mentioned off air, the tempo seemed good. They're getting on the football. Now, for folks listening, tempo doesn't mean that you're getting a playoff every 15 seconds. Yeah. That means that when the ball is down, you are the guys are lining up on the ball quickly, and then you can assess the situation and see what's going on. So that's what I enjoy the most about that game. So now let me ask you something. People were calling for Ken Norton. Ken Norton, he, he needs to be fired. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. Pete Carroll had to come to bat for him and say, look, it's me too. He, he stood in front of his boy and took some bullets for him. That's what loyal people do. Now, now, what what's the perception of Kid Norton to you right now, and what should it be to the rest of the people listening? Well, I, it goes back to accountability, that accountability meeting, which you know, I've, part of me is like, ah, yeah, it's, yeah, I've been in a million of those meetings. So, I, but there's something different about this because I think everybody bought into it, and that was, hey, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter the years you played on this team or in this league, whether you're an All Pro, Hall of Famer, rookie, does not matter. You are all accountable to each other, and we got to play team defense. And that, to me, is where it flipped. Yeah. Because I don't think we're necessarily calling things different. We're, we're still blitzing yep. um, at a higher rate than in years past. It's 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 not crazy. We're middle of the pack, like 33 34%. Um, I, I think it still needs to play out, but, wow, the trend is so good. We, we were – historically bad the first on pace to be the worst defense of all time we're now 27th in the league and i was looking at the teams ahead of us if we we do well this week which i think we will against Mm -hmm. washington they're not a great offense or they're a good offense but they're not a great offense i think san francisco is certainly struggling we'll see how the ram game plays out 
we got a chance, and this would be nuts, if we crack the top 20. But even if we get down to 22 from where we started, to, to dig ourselves out, uh, he's certainly not going to be the defensive coach of the year. But it's certainly the second half. He probably should be defensive coach of the year. But he saved his job. People can stop asking oh, yeah. for Kid Norton to be fired. Yeah, and as, remember what we've done. We basically have a whole new secondary, other than Griffin. And Diggs was part of our team last year. You know, but you got Jamal Adams. You know, we brought in Dunbar and then uh, Trey Flowers. Now we got Reed. I mean, just that alone, a whole new defensive line. There's no OTAs. There's basically no camp. People think, oh, we'll just put them on the field, plug and play. That's not how it works. That is not. And it's how why it works. defenses were so far behind at the beginning of the year. And the Seahawks, I thought, were even farther behind because of the amount of players that had to come into play. You, I'm going to talk about this later too. You go and look at the average age and number of years of guys starting right now. I'm not going to even give it to you. I'm going to tease this one. Tease it. Oh, it is low. Okay. So we're a very young football team that's starting to really understand each other and trust each other. It's This is an exciting football team right now. It is. I, I like the way they're playing right now, offensively and defensively. If anybody struggled a bit last week, it was the special teams because they gave up that big run, but they didn't score off of that run. So there's a plus there. So real quickly, let's talk about Washington football team. Six and seven. First in the NFC East. I look at this defense. Man, I've seen them in a bare front. They get into 50 front, five guys on that line of scrimmage. They got a corner in Kendall Fuller who's good to go. This is a defense who can hang with you and can keep this offense, their offense, in the game. Now, you look at last week's game, they're going to look at it and say, man, that, they scored 23 points. Guess who scored 14 of those points for the Washington football team? <laughs> yeah. Their the, defense. The defense. All right, so the offense, I respect it. I look at Haskins. I look at Alex Smith. Haskins has arm talent. Decision-making is horrible, man. Uh, he, he plays. You see it. You see why yeah. he was drafted high, but his yeah. decision-making is suspect right now. Yeah, the, matter of fact, his first couple of drives after he replaced Alex Smith, I go, okay, I see why they drafted him. Yeah. I mean, he's got a good arm. He's accurate. And then all of a sudden there was two drives where I go, what is he doing? What's he even thinking there? And I hope we have more of those. We, we need those because if he's the first two series, it's going to be a tough game. They have a good running attack. They've got, they have got they can pack it with three tight ends and see, okay, we're going to try to muscle them in the run game. Um, they're, they're dangerous offensively. I don't think that's where they're going to beat us. But when you lose as much as they've lost over the last few years, you got a lot of high picks. I mean, they've got some guys in that front four. Uh, it's it's gonna be a it, this is gonna be a defensive battle, I believe. Yep, they remind me of the 49ers, how they're building their football team, starting with that defensive line. Right. But you gotta be basura. That's Spanish for it. Garbage for you to get those uh, those top picks. That's what they've been the last few years. But they are back. All right, coming up next, we'll dive into the Seahawks' Week 15 opponent with Sam Fortier from the Washington Post, right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Every Thursday from seven to nine live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks live every Thursday, but this is the last Thursday from Lumenfield. I'm Michael Bumpus. He's Paul Moyer right here on 710 ESPN. And right now we get to talk to Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. Sam, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for joining us. I feel like we do this every week, but we uh, we we appreciate you hanging in there. I know it's late over there. Um, the nice is getting started for us, so we appreciate you taking time out. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, as a former uh, intern in, at the uh, Seattle Post Intelligencer, as, as, as someone who really loved uh, being in Seattle for a summer, I always got to make time. 
Boom. Let's go. I, I, I'm feeling the energy right now. All right. I'm feeling the energy. <laughs> hey, Sam. So, I mean, what is it like? It's like two seasons for this Washington football team. You start the season off, you're struggling, but now you guys are on a four game winning streak. That defense looks good. Unfortunately, um, Alex Smith gets banged up. We'll, we'll see if he plays this weekend. But what's the overall feel of this football team right now? I mean, honestly, man, in, in 2020, for everything to have happened that, that has with this team and, and just in the overall year, right? I mean, you start this year off, Ron Rivera's got cancer. Alex Smith, who, uh, you know, wasn't ever supposed to play again, comes back. And not only is he walking, not only does he make the team, he's playing. Uh, this, you know, this defense, everything that, that hasn't supposed to happen uh, has, and it's just really been a, a surreal experience. So I guess like every day you just show up to work and, and you don't really know what's going to happen. So, I would have to say that, that this year's just been a, a crazy ride, and I'm just trying to hang on. You know, the last se- – it's not even the last four games. It's the last seven games. They've, they've won five of their last seven, and then you sandwich that a little bit. The two losses were by three points. I mean, they, they could be on a seven-game winning streak. H- how does Coach Rivera, after the, you start this season, keep this thing positive and moving in the right direction? So that's a great question. I think there's a really, you know, layered answer here. And I think you can kind of even go back to 2014 when he was coaching the Carolina Panthers and they were three, eight and one, and they managed to win all four games in December and make the playoffs. You know, you guys know, uh, you know, one of the only two teams to ever make a postseason uh, sub 500 record uh, with the 2010 Seahawks. But, you know, I talked to, uh, to some players and coaches that he's worked with before, Luke Keekley, Ryan Khalil, guys from his old Panthers teams, and they say the skill of Ron Rivera is standing up in front of a team that might be losing, that, that might be losing badly, and give them the consistent message that, hey, guys, we're going to turn it around. We just need to do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to happen. A lot of stuff needs to happen, but I think it will happen. And, and you know, I took the strength and conditioning coach uh, from the Panthers in 2014, and he was like, look, man, I'm a realist. I've been around. I've worked with more than 30 head coaches you know, in this game. And, and he was like, no one made me believe something could happen like Ron Rivera did. And I think you're seeing that now. And, and that's just how you know, he keeps his teams on track consistently because if you, if you look at his records, he's always good in December. All of his teams kind of rally at the right times to finish strong. And I think that's a byproduct of all the things that we just talked about. Is I, I'm going to take you back a, a ways. My first year with the Seahawks was 83. We had a guy, Coach Chuck Knox. And, you know, Chuck had taken many teams to the playoffs. We had a lot of talents. But we needed a coach or somebody to, to really get the players to believe we were good enough to win. Is, is that really the, the difference of this team this year compared to last year? Yeah, I, I think there is an element of that. And I think that, you know, a lot of teams, a lot of fans and experts early in the year thought, hey, Washington should tank. Washington should, should do what they can to get a good prospect. And I think, you know, that's really popular now, right? Like the Houston Astros, the Philadelphia 76ers, those type of, you know, front office driven models of let's lose and let's acquire talent. I, I think that has, that, that has really taken hold. But, but Ron Rivera kind of rejected that philosophy. He benched Dwayne Haskins after week four, the guy seen as the future, because he knew the locker room knew that he wasn't the guy to win. So I think, you know, one, Ron Rivera instills that message by telling them, but I think he shows the players through action. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care when you were drafted. A lot of coaches say that, right? But he backs it up with action. I mean, he took a lot of heat for benching Dwayne Haskins, but, but when you look at it, Kyle Allen at the time was putting them in the best position to win. Dwayne, uh, you know, Alex Smith now is putting them in the best position to win. So, so when you follow through with action, I think 
Ron Rivera, instead of a hypothetical prospect, he is prioritizing culture. And when he talks about culture, it, it's doing everything you can to win, including whether it's popular or not. And he's backed that up with his own action. Uh, so I think having more talent, being more cohesive, and being more consistent has sort of put the Washington football team where they're at right now. So it sounds like Ron Rivera ain't scared to make decisions. But you know what scares me? This defensive line, Sam. I mean, goodness gracious. And it's highlighted by Chase Young and Montez Sweat, but you still got character. You still got Jonathan Allen. You still got Payne. It's a village when it comes to getting these sacks. What are your thoughts on this defensive line? Is this the best defensive line in the league, in your opinion? There are certainly some other contenders. I would say San Francisco went healthy. Uh, Pittsburgh obviously has a really good one. But I, w- I would say that right now they are making the case that, that they're in that top three. Um, obviously, you've got the headlines taken by Chase Young, Montez Sweat. Those two guys have really you know, ended the last two games. Montez Sweat with his, his batted pass against Big Ben and the Steelers and, and Chase Young you know, with, his, uh, with his fumble recovery touchdown to give them the lead that they never relinquished. I mean, those two guys are the headlines, but I do think – John Allen and Deron Payne get chronically overlooked, especially John Allen. Uh, I think that guy is balling this year. I mean, they switched from a two-gap technique to a one-gap, and and that's really highlighted. You know, I think the aggressiveness um, that they're allowed. You know, that they're now allowed to play with. Um, Tim Settle, even the the backup, they're so deep. Uh, Tim Settle has five and a half sacks as a <laughs> as you know a rotational defensive lineman who's playing like forty percent of the snaps. So. Uh, I think this defensive line, the depth, the, 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 hot, the top line talent and the new scheme that they're in has certainly maximized uh, what they have. They got some nice supporting pieces, too. And there's a kid they drafted in the seventh round, Cameron Curl. And I, he's only got one interception, but boy, he pops on film. Talk, talk about this kid. Yeah, and, and this is really, I think, a realized story of a guy you probably don't get there without the pandemic. Uh, Cam Curl w- was standing in line uh, at an airport in Arkansas, ready to go to his, his, pro to, you know, his visit with the Baltimore Ravens when he found out that the NFL was canceling all team visits. So his agent you know, literally had to run through the airport to tell him not to get on the plane because he couldn't, you know, work out w- with the Ravens. So I think if that doesn't happen, if he has a, a full pro day, if he goes and visits all these teams, he probably doesn't fall to the seventh round, but, but now he does. And, and I think that you're right. He, he only has one interception, but he makes so many plays that pop on film. And I think one of them is at the end of the Steelers game, right? Like the Steelers got the ball at their own 25 and they had 50 seconds or something to score uh, or, or 30 seconds or something to score. And big Ben throws a pass that gets him to about midfield. But Kim curl who was playing free safety. He comes down and he actually adjusts. So his, his shoulders uh, on the receiver, he keeps his shoulders outside uh, of the of the receiver to keep him in bounds because they had no timeouts to keep the clock running. It's little things like that that you just see those minor tweaks and you're like, this dude was a seventh round pick. This guy is a rookie. How how is he? He's you know good. how does he have awareness? Obviously, you're going to get the mistakes, but but for heads up plays like that to happen consistently, you go wow. I mean, th- this kid really knows what he's doing. All right, Sam, I'm a receiver guy, and you guys got a receiver over there. Terry McLaurin, man, 1,000 yards, three touchdowns, 73 receptions. He reminds me of Stephon Diggs. When I watch him play, he reminds me of Stephon Diggs. Might be a bit faster. You guys have to be excited about this young talent. 
I mean, when you talk about, you know, real talents like that, it's been a long time since they've had, I feel like, you know, a, a top-line skill position threat like this guy. Uh, F1 is, is what they call him over here. Uh, I mean, he's got 4-3 speed. And, and really, the thing that, that's pretty remarkable is, is, you know, you have some guys who say the right things and, you know, oh, it's, it's about the team. But, like, if you ask him, you know, what is your favorite play this year, he would tell you it was a, it was a chase-down tackle that he made on Thanksgiving against Jalen Smith, the Cowboys linebacker, to prevent him uh, from, from getting, getting in a touchdown to take the lead. And really, the defense then makes a stop in the red zone uh, and, and kind of changes the momentum of the game. So, so obviously, you know, what he does has been really impressive to watch. This year, they're trying to line him up all over the field, bring him in the slot more, make him a true number one. Uh, but I think it's, it's sort of like – it's sort of like with Chase Young. I think that there are, on top of the talent, they have the intangibles that, that Ron Rivera looks for when he talks about building a culture because I think we all know Washington has, has much greater problems than just finding and acquiring talent, right? It, it's a cultural makeover that they're trying to pull off here. And those two guys, and particularly with, with, with Terry McLaurin, that's as much their benefit as their on-the-field talent. Well, I'm going to ask, since you started with the P.I., real quick, are you rooting for the Seahawks or or Washington? <laughs> I, I'm just keeping it objective. I, I want a great game. I mean, here's the thing is, is when I when I think about this game, when I talk about you think about you know watching Russell Wilson come over here, I mean, I, I'm just real excited for uh, for what I think is going to be actually a really good game. Hey, Sam, man, I appreciate you. Hey, you gave me a lot of Northwest vibes, man. I, and, you know, we appreciate your energy, you staying up and dealing with us. Um, hope you have a great weekend, and I hope that these Hawks get it done, man. Oh, man, I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I hope to get back to the Northwest uh, as soon as we can start traveling more, huh? Yes, sir. Talk to you soon, Sam. Thanks, guys. All right, coming up next, we'll chat with Seahawks defensive lineman LJ Collier right here on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks Live every Thursday right here from Lumenfield on 710 ESPN, along with me, Michael Bumpus, and my guy, Paul Moyer. And now we get to talk to TCU LJ Collier. How you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you guys, man? Hey, you know, we're, we're hanging in there, hanging in there. Hey, my, so my first question to you is, last season started off rough. I believe you had a high ankle sprain. You missed a few games. And um, I told people coming into the season, I go, man, LJ is still kind of like a rookie to me, like a rookie sophomore, try, really trying to fill the game out. I've seen your progression throughout this season. How are you feeling out there? Is the game slowing down? You feeling confident? What's your game like so far? Oh, yeah, I've definitely made strides this season from last year. Last season was, man, like, I wouldn't say it was like this year's my rookie year again, but, you know, I feel like you got to live and learn from your mistakes, man. You got to go through stuff. And I feel like I needed to go through last year to appreciate things, appreciate life more, and appreciate this game more. So I'm taking everything step at a time, a game at a time. And, like, you know, I'm like, I've made way bigger jumps from last year to this year. So, yeah, I'm. I'm pleased with my game, and I've left some plays out there and stuff, but, you know, I'm learning from them every game, so, yeah. LJ, we've had a few guys from Texas on our, our Thursday Hawks Live show. I think we had Ugo Amadi the other day, and you are from Monday, Texas. 1,300 people. My kids, by the way, just moved to Dallas. So, you know, anytime okay. I hear somebody from, from Texas, I'm excited. In fact, I'm going to get a chance to go out and see them in a few weeks, but um, you were mic'd up 
uh, this year. You know, so again, here you are, a young man from small town. What, 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 what's it like to be mic'd up? Because I was listening. You're really a positive guy. So what, is it invasive? I'm just thinking about them putting a mic on you. What's that like? And two, are, are you like that or are you aware of being mic'd up along the way? I mean, you kind of be aware of your friends and what you're saying and stuff. But I'm really like, during the game, I'm locked in. I'm really just trying to, I don't really say too much anyway. I'm quiet. I hear it there. I'm an intensive guy, but I really keep it quiet most of the time during the game. Every once in a while, I might say something. But what it was on the mic was what it mostly was like. But if we're saying, but yes, sometimes you do kind of watch what you say. It's due to the fact that you know you're mic'd up. It It is fun to, to watch and listen and, and it also to watch you. And then, matter of fact, there was two sacks. One was for Monet, and I thought you were the reason for it. You had a speed rush uh, that you know forced Fitzpatrick to step up in the pocket, and he got a sack. And then the other one, you ran a really nice stunt, which I think uh, Puna Ford got the sack on. And the guard, I don't know, I couldn't remember if it was the guard, couldn't come off, and so Puna got that. And you you, you know what that came across is you just get excited for other guys' success as well. And then, you know, is that something just from your upbringing? Man, I'm a team player first, dog. It's always just been about shit. I'm, I'm a, my team makes excited for when I make plays. I'm going to be excited for when they make plays, man. I've always been that way. I like winning, man. I'm on a team full of guys that like to make plays. So I'm always going to be excited for somebody when they make a play, man, especially when it's a damn good play. So. Yeah, <laughs> and they were good I'm ones. A team player, man. Hey, LJ, you guys have turned this thing around. Beginning of the season, everyone's talking about where are the sacks going to come from and they need to do this and that. But slowly but surely, you guys have gotten together. One, do you listen to all the noise? And two, man, the D-line swag got to be on point right now. Oh, yeah, man. Nobody listens to the outside noise. If you listen to that stuff, man, then why are you going to play? Because everybody gets it and everybody got something to say because everybody feels like they can do it. So now I don't listen to that no more, man. Everybody got something to say on how I should do stuff, how I should play, how many sacks I should have. But no, man, the D-line has came on as a unit. We're locked in. Everybody has a point to prove. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants it. And really, is a whole defense. But as a D-line as a whole, like, yeah, man, we said it's time. Like, we waited long enough, so with the, the additions of, like, Carlos and stuff like that, we got some guys come on and things like that. So, yeah, like, I'm pleased with how the D-line played. It's been it's been quite the turnaround. I mean, if you look at the first eight games of the year and, and over the last five games, really you could probably go back six or seven games. No, some people talk about that accountability meeting, but what was it like for Ken Norton for you guys? I mean, that's tough as a coach when you're struggling the first four yards, just from a statistic standpoint. You know, what, what do you think has been the turnaround the last five games? Oh, man. If you know Coach Norton like I do, man, he's a positive guy. He's going to push and he's going to get his best out of people. He knows Bobby. He knows KJ. He knows what, how many plays they've made in the future. I mean, in the past, those guys know, man. They know what they're going to get out of people and they know what they can get out of us. So it's the same week, same thing every week. They push us to be our best. So we try new things. We, we learn from our mistakes. So no, nah, man, Coach Norton, like we've done different things, like the night before the hotel and things like that, with talking things out. And so. Yeah, man. It's, it's really been, like, nice and stuff like that. Coach Norton, like, if you know anything about him, man, you know that he's a str- uh, strong-headed guy, man, and stuff like that. So he's going to push forward every week, man. He ain't going to change who he is just for some losses, you know? Yes, yeah, sir. Man, LJ, I always ask this question every chance I get because me and Paul, we're from California. Um, moved up here to the Northwest. You're from Texas. What has the transition been like, and are you enjoying just life in the Pacific Northwest? 
last year it was a little rough with the uh, getting dark at four and the rain and the cold. I wasn't doing too well. But this year, I'm definitely I'm cool with it, man. It's straight. I like it out here, man. It's definitely a, a different transition, a different vibe. I like the I can go home in the off season, get the Texas vibe, and then I can come out here and get a whole completely different vibe. You know, I like it out here. It's well, different, and you know, I like different things. So. It is different because my kids keep reminding me how sunny and warm it is in Dallas. And, hey, Dad, how's, how's the 40-degree weather right now? But, hey, I'm going to take you back to high school. I watched your highlight reel. And uh, you played tight end and, and kind of a weak, uh, I don't know, weak side defensive end that they were, were calling it. But you, you were playing defensive end mostly with your, your hand down. Man, I watched you as a tight end, LJ. Dude, you were about 6'2", like 205, 210. I don't know. You were tall and gangly. But you have some skills as a tight end. Were, were you recruited as a tight end coming out of high school? No, man. I went to a type of school where we ran the ball. But every once in a while, my coach would throw me the ball. And uh, I could do a little something with it back in the day. Because you know, I played skill positions all through when I was a kid and in junior high. I didn't switch to tight end to high school because, you know, most of my cousins and friends played running back and, you know, if you're like I said, I'm a team guy, so I'm to tie it in because shit, I'm six two and shit. I play DN too, and I could do better for my job right there. But no, I wasn't recruited at it because you know, I wasn't getting the ball enough, and I really didn't have the stats for it. Well, uh, they ran the you ran. I saw the middle screen a couple of times that they they threw it to, and there was a couple of go routes. I mean, you, you know, you've got skill running the football. You had good hands, and so I, I, I was impressed with you there. So tell me about the recruiting process, because I was looking at it. It said you originally uh, verbal committed com, or committed to Texas Tech. It looks like Baylor was in there. You know, you're you grew up in Texas, not that far from from TCU. But just talk about that whole recruiting experience and how you ended up at TCU. Really, man. I was recruited to Tech. I had a friend that uh that played there, and uh, they were recruiting him. His name was D. Paul. He was on the team. That was my quarterback. And when stuff went there, things didn't work out with him and stuff like that. And my recruiter, Sonny Comby, went to TCU. And I and then like Tech kind of pulled off after that. They were like, well, we don't really know and stuff like that. And they kind of like pulled off, weren't talking to me anymore because I was having trouble getting my uh, ACT scores and stuff. So they thought they were I wasn't gonna make the Make the uh, be able to get in. And they were talking about gray shirt and me and everything like that. And this is during my basketball season, my junior year, not my senior year of high school. And so I'm just like, man, well, wow, I've been committed here since last year, all this other stuff. And the coach told me this on Tuesday night. So I texted Coach Cumbie and asked him what did he think about Texas, I mean, about TCU. And he said, well, I'll talk to Coach P about it and show him your highlights and see what he says. Well, you know, after that, Tech was out, and he showed Coach Pete. That was, this is Tuesday. I went through the week. That following, that next Monday, Coach Cumbie called me back and told me that TC was willing to, uh, they were going to offer me a full ride. And I was, they, they invited me down to the junior days, like, the next weekend. And after that, man, like, I went to the junior day, and that was it. Like, I met, like, a few guys there, and most of them didn't even go to TCU, besides, like, a few of them. It was, like, Austin Slopeman. He plays for the uh, the Denver Broncos now, and, it was just like stuff like that, man, and like, and then I moved in in the summer. Like, I didn't really know anything about TCU. I didn't know much, man. Like, I just knew I wanted to play ball. Like, I just showed up there, type stuff. And I just knew I wanted to play football. I don't know I didn't want to stay on Monday, so that was my way out, and I took it. All right, LJ, man. Let me let me into the the defensive lineman 
uh, film room. Now, if I'm outside looking in, it seems like Dunlap is the, the big personality. It seems like Puna is low-key, but something tells me Puna has a lot more to say than he leads on. Oh, Puna? Yeah, for sure. That's my dog, man. He does have a lot more to say, but he's a quiet, laid-back guy always. All right, so but, I'm going to – go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, no, but for sure, Jay Reed, he's really the head guy in the room, but Los is a, a very – he's a funny personality, man. I like his guy. He, he brings nice swag to him. He brings great energy to the room. But Puna has more to say than you guys think, though. Oh yeah, he's 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 been playing well. You guys got some good young guys. So you mentioned basketball in high school. I don't know too many guys who play in the NFL don't think they're a great basketball player. So on just the defensive line, because Tyler Lockett thinks he's the best shooter on the team, who's the best basketball player on the defensive line? Like an all-around player, I'm gonna take myself any day. But okay. Because when we go up and we shoot uh, for the team things, he's always done the best. So I'm not even going to sit here and cap. Like, Puna got it right now. <laughs> as far as I play on one-on-one, I'm going to take myself. But shooting, yeah. And picking basketball on so long. So when you're rusty, you're rusty. And he got a shot on him. <laughs> All right, LJ. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know what your schedule's like. You guys are back and forth watching film. Have a great weekend and good luck. I appreciate y'all for having me on. Thank you. All right, Paul Moyer, we got you covered all things Seahawks and the NFL as of the professor. John Clayton joins us next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Every Thursday from 7 to 9, live on air on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hawks Live every Thursday. This is the last Thursday, though, Paul Moyer. I, I shouldn't clap for that. I was just clapping because we have... The man. The man. The man, the myth, the legend. Yes. John Clayton is joining us right here on Hawks Live. John, how you doing? Doing well. How about you guys? You know, we're, we're doing well. We're doing all right. Kind of sad that this is our last one. I am sad. You know what we do? Let's just get on like a group call every Thursday after this, John. Okay, that sounds talk. good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if there's some uh, sponsors out there, we could keep this going. I'm just I think so. Okay. Keep it rolling. John, this Washington football team defensive line is pretty scary. And if Brandon Shell isn't there, I'm a bit concerned. I feel like there are guys who've had experience at that spot. But um, what's the status of Shell right now? Uh, I still wonder if he's going to try to go out there because I know early in the week, even though he hasn't practiced in the last two days, Pete said it's, it's about the same as it was last week. And he almost made it through the first half. So I'm just kind of wondering, are they just saving him from practice to give him a chance to go out there? And, of course, if, if anything goes wrong, then they'll take him out quickly. You know, Cedric Abouye looks like he has a decent chance of playing. Doesn't look good for Jamarco Jones. And that, naturally, they still have Chad Wheeler. But they, they need Shell for this one. Because, again, you've you got five first-round defensive linemen that are, that are in a rotation. They're that good. you got Chase Young, who probably is going to end up being the defensive rookie of the year. Uh, they, and you're able to get such great pressure on the quarterback. But it was funny because I was actually looking at this right before I came down here to talk to you guys. Is that, okay, what, what's the similarity with the Washington football team and the San Francisco 49ers? And the answer is those are the two teams that you use more draft choices in the first round on defensive linemen than yeah. anybody else. And so I went back and I looked and 
despite the fact that San Francisco had such a great defensive line last year, particularly with the addition of Nick Boza to go along with three former first round picks, you know, Seattle was able to score like 27 and 21 points in the two games. And in the first game that they won, I think they scored 27 and had uh, only one sack allowed. And uh, Russell had a good day passing. And then in that last game of the season, you know, he was sacked about five times, but still was able to get some 21 points and really was right down there at the goal line with a chance to get the game tying the game touchdown to try to put it ahead. But then unfortunately there was no, a non-call on Jacob Hollister on that interference that kind of held everything back. So, you know, you can manage as long as Russell Wilson, you know, basically relies on uh, not throwing the ball 40 times. In fact, I just went through this stat is that, uh, you know, in the times that he's thrown the ball 40 plus times, his record is four and 13. So the big thing is, don't let Russ cook. Have a balanced offense. Try to run the football and then uh, try to make sure that Russell gets rid of the ball with underneath routes, check downs, screen passes, and then occasionally a play-action pass. Yeah, you mentioned Washington's defensive line. 17 first-round pick Allen, defensive tackle. 18 first-round pick Payne, defensive tackle. 19 Sweat. And then last year, obviously Chase Young, or this year Chase Young, they're 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 very gifted. Hey, I'm gonna stay on the uh, the injury front. Um, Quentin Dunbar and and Rashad Penny. Just uh, the updates on those two. Well, it looks good on Penny because. Brian Schottenheimer today said he looks great in practice, and he looks fast, he looks explosive, so you kind of get the idea that he's going to be maybe on the active roster for this game just to try to get him back in grain. Now, where would that roster spot come from? Because they have to make a bunch of roster moves this week. Probably Travis Homer because Travis has been fighting that knee injury. But there's a chance, I think, that Penny might be able to get out there and go in and be the third running back. Uh, so that can be good. As far as Dunbar, still kind of shaky because I don't know if they want to risk it with the foot injury. The foot seemed like it's still a little bit messed up. And if that's going to be the case, you save him for the Rams game. But uh, they really Really do need Dunlap, Carlos out there because again, Carlos is just such a good player. You know that they're going to have Quentin Dunbar available because again, I think he's through the knee injury. You know, he's now served out to three weeks that he needed to go, so I think he's going to be available. So in in the end, you know, it's not that banged up of a team. But again, the key injuries right now are Dunlap and Brandon Shell. All right, gentlemen, I'm gonna switch gears and go Monday Night Football. My guy Lewis Riddick, who I call Mister Three Piece Suit is um, he's up for some GM interviews. Do you, where do you think he'll land, and then who do you think will replace him in the booth? Good question about replacing him in the booth because uh, not sure where that's going to go because it's such a changing thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big Lewis guy. I mean, uh, you, like I remember uh, through some connections of different people that were going to take that job, I actually – put his name in when I was at ESPN and sure enough he ended up getting it because am, am I, I think am I right in saying this Paul you probably know this maybe more isn't he related to uh, related to Nesby Glasgow I don't know. I think he was. Uh, yeah, Nate, the late Nesby Glasgow. Yeah, the late Nesby, Nesby Glasgow. Yeah. Because I know that uh, you know they were talking to Nesby for a job and it just didn't work out. And so then they were there. And this is at ESPN. And so then uh, the next recommendation, at least I threw one, was Lewis Riddick because that's what Nesby told me to do, and we did it. And look how great he is. But at the moment, he's interviewing in Houston. He's interviewing in Detroit. We'll see if he gets an interview in Atlanta. But uh, I think he's good enough to get one of these jobs. I would never leave the booth. He's got the most cushiony, no stress job in the world. Mm. I, but you know what? It sometimes that that money talks. Well, it's not even money. It's the 
competitive spirit just That's drives it. these guys, you know, to go compete, you know, best of the best. And what's funny, I was actually going to ask that, that question as well. John, if the Seahawks play the same, let's just say they run the table. Yeah. Who's the one team that doesn't match up well for the Seahawks? In the playoffs. Well, of course, I mean, if they win it, I mean, you could say it could be the Rams, but then they will have beaten the Rams and be uh, have one win and one loss against them. Uh, so, and again, because the Rams have such a good defense, which I'm still stunned at because, you know, other than Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and maybe Michael Brockers, you can't even name the other eight starters. Uh, I'd say, you know, because I think they can match up well against Green Bay. They matched up well last year. Uh, and, you know, Green Bay's still not really good at stopping the run, so as long as they don't let Russ cook too much, I think they can do it. New Orleans, I think, is going to be a tough team because I think that there's more talent. I mean, at one, at one point last week, they entered the week as the number one defense in football, and, you know, Drew Brees should be back by then with a very potent offense. So I think New Orleans probably is the toughest team at the moment. But, again, Green Bay more than likely is going to have the game in Green Bay as a number one seed. You know, they close out with such an easy schedule – you know, they should get the 13 wins. John, beginning of this season, everyone's talking about this Seahawks defense, what they can and can't do. But nowadays they've turned it around. Paul Morris spit out some stats for us. They are probably the best defense the last three weeks, depending on how you look at it. So now they are number nine in the league when it comes to sacks. Has this been the biggest turnaround you've seen from a unit when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks? Oh, no question. Because, again, what it was nine sacks in the first six games. And all of a sudden, and I know Dave, David Wyman, or don't we, I call him David, but it's Dave Wyman, you know, David Wyman. <laughs> Uh, we all think that 39-40 sacks is where you need to be. And for a team that had only 28 last year and nine in the first six weeks, they're sitting there at 36. Think about that. I mean, since what week? Uh, well, really, since two, uh, the Arizona game that they won when they had seven sacks, they've led the league in sacks. I never thought that was going to happen. And they've done it now in the last two weeks without Carlos Dunlap. And so that's good. And, of course, once Dunlap came to this team, he had four sacks in four weeks. That looked good. And then, of course, you know, I, I know Paul was fast as far as being in the secondary. Well, maybe not fast. But, the, I mean, to see Jamal Adams have eight and a half sacks in nine weeks. In fact, what I think he entered the week as the 12th best sack guy in football. And he's a safety, which is amazing. Yeah, Jamal and I are about the same speed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, John, success you often lose assistant coaches. We lost Gus Bradley. We lost Dan Quinn. Now there's talk about Brian Schottenheimer. Is there, do you see anything playing out there? There's been talk about maybe Houston and him getting some uh, interest. Yeah, I think he's going to get an interview down in Houston. I don't know about any other place. And the reason for his uh, interest in or the interest in him in Houston, I mean, he was a quarterback coach down in Houston, so they know him down there. And so that could be that could be a fit. But you know, it's going to be tough competition if that's going to be the case because you have Eric Bieniemy who's going to be in there. I think Eberflus, the defensive coordinator in Indianapolis, is going to be in the mix. And you know, what's interesting. Thing is that uh, and and this is what you kind of wonder because they they've got too many cooks in the kitchen I guess you want to say not with Russ Cook but it goes the ownership cooking right now because you know not only do they have Jed Hughes as the guy that is running the search but also as a GM they now have a committee a committee uh, that has Tony Dungy and several other former players and former executives around the league that are trying to at least go in there. So you kind of wonder, it's like, is that too many? Because basically, I hate to say this, but the owner, uh, Cal McNair, knows very little about what to do in football. So he's hired just about everybody to work both jobs, the coach and the GM. 
John, two two questions, or I don't even know two questions. I guess there are two questions. One is, uh, I'm about to give you the floor. This is your time, yeah. so what's on your mind? But I want you to answer that, and I also want you to, to tie in, as we get towards Christmas, what is your favorite drink as you get towards Christmas? Well, I mean, my favorite drink, because I'm pretty uh, consistent in that, is going to be wine. I was drinking more Cabernet before, but just to kind of, you know, stay, uh, not get too big, I've been going with uh, Chardonnay. So it's like, and that's a, a consistent thing. So it's like, uh, it was funny because... Uh, one of the, one of the people I was talking to today said, "Hey, where's a good place to buy cheap scotch?" And it's like, I have no idea. I mean, it's like, you know, certainly I like Coors Light. There's no question about that. You know, love that because you know it's such a great taste in that regard. But uh, pretty much, I'm mean, I'm a big kind of a Chardonnay guy. Uh, but and I guess Chardonnay and Coors Light would be my two favorites. Now, as far as you know, at, you're asking me, it's like what people haven't asked is how did how does the schedule look going down the stretch? And it's kind of amazing. And that's why it's going to be so interesting in watching the result of the Charger game against the Raiders because in the final 48 games of the season including tonight there's 40 games 40 games where a winning team is facing a losing team there's only wow. eight games right now where a winning team is facing a winning team and there's only one this week where you have Kansas City going against New Orleans and so next week there's going to be maybe five and you look at it and you say there's only two teams right now that have that are winning records playoff caliber teams that have to face a winning team twice one is Pittsburgh because they have to face Indy and Cleveland and then the other is the uh, uh, you know the Rams because they have to face Seattle and Arizona. But I'm just amazed to think now, are upsets going to play into it or it's going to be like this year where roughly 90% of the times a winning team took on a losing team, uh, the winning team won. That is a great statistic, and I would stay with Cabernet. Yeah, Cabernet is good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, John A., will you sip that Cabernet, and if you really want to cook it, Get some Pullman water, Bush Light, baby. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, you have a good night. And as always, this is the last time we're going to say this. You stay funky, baby. Yeah, but of course, we'll get to talk Sunday. Yes, we there will. Thanks, John. <laughs> All right, is this is the season NFC Championship or bus? Will Brian Schottenheimer be an NFL coach next year? And did Lamar Jackson do what we think he did last night? On Monday, last Monday, come on, guys, on Monday, Paul Moore and I turn up the heat on Talk That Talk right here on Hawks Live.